Good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship Church. I want to welcome you to the second installment of a series we've entitled Living It. Uh, there are, these are, this is a series that are based on the teachings that Paul uh, delivered to people who lived in the city of Ephesus, uh, port city and uh, what would today be called modern-day Turkey. And there were Christians. There was a church that was started there under the Apostle Paul's leadership and ministry. And when he arrived there, they didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. And so today, inside your bulletin, you'll find an outline that's entitled, We Can't Live the Christian Life Without the Holy Spirit. And the reason why we entitled that is because we can't live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. If you don't know who the Holy Spirit is, the Ephesians didn't either when Paul showed up. And he had to teach them about the Holy Spirit. He had to teach them. He taught them more in a letter he wrote that we've called the letter to the Ephesians. It's in the New Testament of the Bible. I want to share with you some wonderful insights because there's some very practical reasons that you and I need to know this. It's not just the theological uh, detail that you can uh, have in your head in case you ever play a game of biblical trivial pursuit, okay? This is something that you and I need to know because the Holy Spirit enables us to live life the way God wants us to. I want to jump right in in a moment, but first let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here. I thank you for your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. Without your word, Lord, we don't know who you are. We would never understand why Jesus came into the world unless you explained this and revealed this to us. We would never understand the work of the Holy Spirit unless you made this clear either. So, Lord, I thank you for the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. I thank you for other places in the Scripture where we can learn why we need the Holy Spirit, who he is, and why that matters to our lives. So, Lord, I pray that you'll speak today, move me out of the way, and teach us what we need to know. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. If you need a pen, by the way, uh, our ushers are coming up and down the aisles. They'll be glad to pass a pen to you so you can take some notes, fill in the blanks, and I hope you will. Uh, Let me jump in here. Point one on your outline. The Apostle Paul taught the people in Ephesus that they couldn't live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. You just can't do it. It's too hard. It's uh, too confusing. But the Holy Spirit makes it all possible. Here's, uh, this is from Acts 19, how the Apostle Paul first came to the city of Ephesus. Paul was traveling from Syria, from uh, close to where Damascus would be today in Syria, up over uh, through modern-day Turkey. And uh, when he came to a port on the other side of Turkey uh, called Ephesus, Paul traveled to the interior regions of Turkey until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Well, then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John, speaking of John the Baptist. Paul said, well, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. So as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied, and there were about 12 men in all. So when Paul first arrived at this city, he found people who they had heard about God, and they'd heard of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist had come preparing the way for Jesus. In fact, there's a note in your outline that says, John the Baptist, it reminds us that John the Baptist told people to look forward to the arrival of Jesus. If you weren't with us during our Christmas series, we talked about this, that Mary, the mother of Jesus, had a relative named Elizabeth. God did an amazing thing placing Jesus inside the womb of Mary through the power of the Holy Spirit. He also did another amazing thing, allowing uh, Mary's relative Elizabeth in her old age to give birth to a baby. That baby grew up to be John the Baptist. He's about six months older than Jesus. 
And he had a miraculous birth, and he had a very clear purpose, and that was to get people ready for the message that Jesus would proclaim. Here's what Matthew says about John the Baptist. People from Jerusalem, from all over Judea, all over the Jordan Valley, they went out to see and hear John the Baptist. When they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who's greater than I am. He's so much greater, I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. When John would baptize people, it was a Jewish custom when a person, would, an adult convert to the faith would come, you'd repent of your sinful ways and they would take you out to a river like the, or a pond like the Jordan River and baptize you and show you that you'd turn, it was a demonstration on the outside. It's the reason we still baptize people today. And we'll talk about that in a second. It's a demonstration on the outside of a decision in your heart that and my sins are washed away. They've been forgiven by God. But as uh, John would baptize people, he said, you know, I can do this outward demonstration, but someone's coming and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It won't just be on the outside. He's going to change you on the inside. And so keep that in mind. This was something amazing that was about to happen. And that brings us to the next note. Jesus told his disciples to look forward to the arrival of the Holy Spirit. John told his followers, hey, it's good that you're repenting of your sins, but someone's coming who's greater than I am, the Messiah. And when Jesus came, he said, it's good that I'm here and you're listening to my message, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. In fact, when he told his disciples before he ascended into heaven, he said, I want you to go and make disciples, teach them everything I've taught you in all nations, and baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. If you've not heard this before, the Bible reveals that the creator God of the universe is one God in three persons. It's known as the doctrine of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the way God has revealed himself to us. And when a person asks, when you ask God to come into your heart, when you open your heart to Jesus, Jesus says that God places his spirit inside of us. The very presence of God comes to live inside of us. And he changes us from the inside out. This is what Jesus was talking about in John 14. This is in your outline as well. He told the disciples that he would die and he would ascend to heaven and he'd go prepare a place for them. And so they were naturally concerned. They'd been following him. He said, well, Lord, if you go, what's going to happen to us? And here's what he said. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. And you could write helper above that, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Now, the world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. He told them, guys, when I go up to heaven and prepare that place for you, I'm going to ask the Father and he will send the Holy Spirit to be inside of you to change you so you can become the very people that God wants you to be, more than you ever dreamed about on your own. It won't be a superficial religion just with outside piety and acts of righteousness to be seen by others. Everybody had the fill of that. This would be the real deal. They'd be living it. And this is why we're talking about it in the second installment of a series entitled Living It. You and I can't live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit's help. Now here's the way it all came about. After Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead, the book of Acts tells us what happens next. This is from Acts chapter 1. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, Jesus appeared to the apostles from time to time. He proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. So for about a month and a half, Jesus would appear to his disciples at various times and places. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. 
And once, when Jesus was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that I promised, that he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And please circle the word power there. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. And if you circle the word witnesses, we're going to hit both of those again. You're going to be witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. It filled the house where they were sitting, and then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Pentecost was a big Jewish celebration, and there were pilgrims from all over the world that had come to Jerusalem. They heard the sound too. And so people filed out, and they got in the streets and alleyways all around the house where the disciples were. And when they came out, people were asking, what's the noise? What's going on here? And as the disciples explained that this was something that Jesus had given them, they began to realize they were speaking in languages they didn't even know. And people from all over the world were able to understand them. Several thousand people that day became believers in Jesus. And when they left to go back home, the gospel was spread in many places throughout the known world at that time. Because God was up to something new, something amazing, something that would give them power was now available. So they'd know what to do and they'd have the strength to do it. And today, I want to remind you and me about why it's, that's why it's so important to understand who the Holy Spirit is and what kind of work he does in our lives. So Paul taught those people in Ephesus, hey, you can't live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that the way the Holy Spirit had uh, fallen on the disciples in Jerusalem was exactly the way it happened again with the people in Ephesus to prove, hey, this is a legitimate deal here. It's a legitimate stamp. You're now disciples of Jesus too. Now you'll have the power to be witnesses all around Ephesus. And that's exactly what happened because Paul ended up staying there for three years and thousands and thousands of people came to know Christ through the witness of these people. Life-changing event because now they not only understood who God was and what he wanted them to do, but they had the power to do it. And that brings us to point two on your outline because you and I cannot live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. He is our power supply. He's our power supply. Paul gets to Ephesus, hey, do you know who God is? Yeah, do you know there's a Messiah named Jesus? Yeah, we've heard about that. Uh, John the Baptist said some stuff about that. Yeah, we believe that. Well, do you know about the Holy Spirit? No, we don't. Well, then you don't know enough. I remember a few years ago meeting with a young couple that were about to get married, and uh, one of the interesting things, we go through the course of things, we talk about their views on finances and their views on religion, their views on a whole lot of things, and I asked uh, the groom, you know, how he got along with her mom and dad. And he said, well, I've never met her mom and dad. I mean, is that important? And some of you are laughing. Yes, it's important. It's important before you get married to meet the in-laws. Because you marry the person, the in-laws are thrown in for free. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? They come right along. And if you think you know the person, well, you can tell a lot more about them when you see them interact with the parents. And you spend Christmas with them Wow, now you really know what you're getting into because Uncle Bert's going to show up as well, okay? And all these things are going to happen. And so it's real important, though, to say, well, I understand the person. I just don't know anything about their extended family. Well, then you don't know all there is to know about the person. 
And if you've heard there is a God in heaven who created the universe, you heard right. If you've heard that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, and his son's name is Jesus, and he died on the cross for our sins, he rose again on the third day, and he ascended into heaven, he's coming back soon, you heard right. But if that's all you heard, you need to hear a little bit more. Because when we baptize people, we don't just baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son. We baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is our power supply. When the Bible teaches us to do certain things, the demands are rigorous and the standards are high. The Scripture calls us to be holy, even if the world isn't. The Scripture calls us to forgive, even if people don't forgive us. Scripture calls us to be confident and sure in what we believe, even if it sometimes looks like, according to circumstances, uh, this isn't going to turn out the way the Bible says. God says, hang on, you have faith in me. And so when people come and say, John, it's too hard, I can't do it, the good news that I have for them is this, you're right, you can't, and neither can I, but here's the good news. Christian standards are high, but Christians believe we have help. In fact, we have a helper, and his name is the Holy Spirit. He is God's very presence inside of you, and through his power, amazing things can happen in your life and mine. Where did I get these ideas? Well, Paul talked about it in a couple places. Let me read a couple of them to you. This is from Ephesians first. Again, he instructed them in this when he first arrived. The letter that we have that Paul wrote to Ephesus is when he was in prison six, seven, eight years later writing a letter back to them, reminding them of some things. Here's what he said. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, God will empower you, and you can underline that, empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you, if you flip your outline over there, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, Hope you underlined power there again. The power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is. Let me read Romans 8, 11. Then I'll make a few comments. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. This is Paul writing in another letter. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you'll die. But if through the power of the spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. Through the power of the Spirit. I want to point out a couple of things here. He said that, I hope that through the, he's praying that you will have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how deep and how wide and how high and how amazing God's love is. Here's what's great. When you and I have the Holy Spirit in our lives, as we read God's word, the Holy Spirit will illuminate the word. He'll open our eyes to understand things we would never understand before. That's why sometimes when you come here on Sunday mornings, God energizes the words we put on the screen or in this bulletin. He energizes the words I say. It happened a few weeks ago. There was somebody home for the holidays. They were visiting from Iowa. And they had come with some relatives to come to worship here at Centerpoint. And afterward, they grabbed me and they go, that is amazing. What just happened here? And I said, well, we had a worship service. And they go, no, no, I understand that. But they had had some kind of family squabble about something, and the exact problem that we were talking about was exactly what I had discussed. They said, how did you know that? Did my brother call you? And I didn't know who his brother was, and so I said, I don't even know who you are. And so, no, I didn't, uh, nobody had called this. He goes, well, how could that be possible? I said, well, it could be very possible because God's Holy Spirit 
blesses his word and opens our minds and gives us the power to understand things we would never grasp on our own. He gives us the power to change. I hope you heard that in Romans 8, 11. Through the power of the Spirit, you can put to death the deeds of your sinful nature. I love it that I can tell people with confidence when they're struggling with an addiction and when they're struggling with a deep hurt that they've never been able to get past before, when they're struggling with holding a grudge against someone who hurt them terribly 30 years ago and they've never been able to let go of it, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, there's hope. God can empower you to change. New life is available through Jesus. I really can forgive the way Jesus wants me to forgive, not in my own strength, but in his, through the Holy Spirit who lives in me because he's changed me and made me new. He is my power supply. So I have faith in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the helper who lives inside of me. When Paul wrote to the Philippians, here's what he said. We read this last week, and I'm going to quote it again because it's just so powerful that we understand this. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And so if you come here on Sunday mornings and your conscience is troubled, are you inspired to start this week and you're going to change something in your life? Don't let go of that and say, well, I mean, that was a good thought, and I'm really glad they talked about that, but I'll never have the strength to do it. No, you won't, but the Holy Spirit will. And if he gave you the desire to change something in your life, to get rid of that filth on your computer, to change the way you talk, to get out of a relationship or to get into a connect group, to get into a small group and you say, I don't know if I can do it, don't delay. Because if God is pulling at your heart, he's giving you the desire, he'll give you the power to follow through. All you and I have to do is surrender to it and say, Lord, come on, change me. He has changed millions and billions of people throughout the centuries. And he wants to change you and me too. He wants to get us ready for heaven. And it can start today. What you and I have to do is just surrender to him and say, Lord, I want you in my life. So we can't live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit because he's our power supply. Another important aspect that Paul talks about of having the Holy Spirit in our lives is point three You and I can live confidently because the Holy Spirit is God's guarantee or his deposit of our inheritance. You can put guarantee above the line, deposit below it, works out the same. If I put earnest money down on a house, it's part of the payment for the house that I'm putting in advance, assuring the person selling the house that I'm going to pay the rest. The Holy Spirit is just like that. He's earnest money. God says, I'm going to place my Holy Spirit inside of you as a deposit on all the great things that are yet to come. Paul said this. He said, And now you Gentiles have also seen the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee, and you can circle that there, that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. The Holy Spirit's a down payment, earnest money on everything he's got in store for us. Well, what are you talking about, John? Well, here's what I'm talking about. When you ask Christ into your life, he does begin to change you. I remember when I surrendered my life to Christ, he started changing the way I thought about things. He changed my temper. And over a few years, and he changed my outlook. He changed the way I understood life. And over a few years, I would talk to people, and they'd say, wow, you're a completely different person. Now, this is 
should be encouraging. It was very encouraging to me to know, hey, I'm really changing. Because sometimes when I'm in the middle of day-to-day life, I don't feel like I'm changing. Sometimes I don't feel like I've got this Christian thing down right at all. I mean, it's kind of like parenting. If you're a parent, sometimes you feel like you don't know what you're doing. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah, if you're a parent, you're in the middle of it. You've read books on it. You know all about it. And then you go, you know, there's some bad altercation or horrible miscommunication. And my wife and I look at each other and go, wow, we messed that up. Okay. And you go, I wonder how we're doing on this. And sometimes I feel that way with the Christian life, too. I'm trying, Lord, but I don't know if I'm getting any of this. And all of a sudden, I'll meet somebody I haven't seen for a long time, and they'll send me a note, and they say, wow, God has really changed you. Well, that's like a deposit. I mean, if God can change me and bring me a certain distance in 10, 15, 20 years since becoming a believer, imagine what distance he can bring me toward, how much godliness he can bring me toward in 20 trillion years in heaven. It's one of the greatest joys I have about doing funerals for people late in life. Sometimes I've gotten to know them. They are sweet, godly people. And I go and meet with the family. I'm taking pages and pages and pages of notes. We meet for an hour and a half. I go, okay, I got no, I, this will be a four-hour funeral. We've got to shut it down. Because everybody has so many wonderful things to say about him. But invariably, somewhere in there, somebody will say, well, he wasn't always that way. I remember what he was like before he met Jesus. And they'll tell me about him. He was a rascal. I mean, just a, a lying, cheating, cussing son of a gun. And then he met Jesus and everything changed. And they said he wasn't always like you knew him. You knew him at the end of his life, John. But you should have seen him when, before God got a hold of him. He was pretty rough. But God was working on him and working on him and working on him, getting him ready for heaven. And I hope that encourages you. When you're reading your Bible and all of a sudden the pages jump off, the words jump off the page, and you're, even if you're convicted about it and you go, i got to change something, oh, man, I'm wrong. Even if it's a conviction, let that be an encouragement to you that God is working on you because he loves you. You're his son. You're his daughter. With my sons, I confront them when they're wrong. And sometimes they've even asked me, Dad, why are you telling me this? This is hard for me to hear. I'm telling you this, son, because I love you. And I don't want you to have to learn the same things I learned. I did some of that same stuff and suffered for it, and I don't want you to have to pay the same stupid tax I paid. So I'm going to tell you because I love you even though it's hard for you to hear. And if the Holy Spirit has convicted you about things or he is pushing you right now to bring a change in your life, let that be a deposit that God's going to keep changing you forever and ever and ever, making you more and more like himself. And that's what I want to be. And it's an encouragement to me. And Paul said, hey, when you gather together for worship and sometimes you're singing songs to the Lord and you feel like your heart's going to burst, that's just a little foretaste of what it's going to be like when you sing with the choirs of angels in heaven. You're not even going to believe it. And when you are sitting there reading the Bible and the words are jumping off the page, you're going, oh, this is amazing. I understand it now. Well, imagine in heaven when we will see Jesus face to face and we will hear him speak out loud and we can dialogue with him out loud. Think how much we'll know then. And if God has done this much with us in 10 years, what will he do in 10 billion years? And he said, so be encouraged. This is a deposit. And I need that in my Christian life because sometimes I feel like I'm living the Christian life and sometimes I feel like I'm just a royal mess up. Again, can anybody agree with me on that? Well, you're not supposed to agree that I'm a royal mess up. I mean, this is for you. Yeah, I think you are. That's that's good. I'll, I'll agree with that. 
But the point is, we can live confidently. In fact, Paul said this in Philippians 1.6, I am confident in this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. I'm confident that he's going to keep working on us. And you need to be confident too. And without the Holy Spirit, man, I could be broiled and rolling around in doubt all day long. With the Holy Spirit, though, I go, well, why would God tell me this if he wasn't wanting to change me? And why would he want to change me if he'd given up on me? And sometimes the devil will whisper thoughts in my ear and there'll be temptations that come across me. John, you don't amount to anything. I said, well, that might be true, but the Holy Spirit amounts to a lot. And he's already taught me something today, so I guess God's working on me. So I'm not going to give up today. And tomorrow, we'll go with what he teaches me then. Point four. Paul said, you're going to need the Holy Spirit for confidence. You're going to need him for power. But he said, here's the key. You and I need to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I'm borrowing that phrase, under the influence, because Paul compares uh, living the Spirit-filled life to getting drunk. And uh, so I want to run with that a little bit here. Ephesians 5, 17, again, his letter to the Ephesians, Paul said, hey, if you want to live the Christian life, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit, live under the influence. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that'll ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, there's not a one of us here who hasn't heard that if you drink and drive, eventually a trooper's going to pull you over for driving under the influence. And they examine you. They get you out of the car, and it's pretty easy to see who's under the influence. Because the alcohol will affect the way you talk. You'll slur your speech and say things you probably wouldn't ordinarily say. It'll affect the way you walk. And you can't even walk a straight line. And that's one of the tests they give you. It'll affect your reactions and your reaction time, which is why they don't want you driving because your reaction time is way off. It'll affect every part of your life. And Paul says, well, now look, if you want to understand what it's like to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit, compare it to something else that will impact every area of your life. If you drink too much... It'll affect the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you walk, the way you react to things. If you live under the influence of the Holy Spirit, it'll do the same thing. When you live under the influence of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden things you used to say, you're not going to say anymore. In fact, when I surrendered my heart to Jesus, one of the things that changed was sometimes I didn't say anything at all, which was a real breakthrough. All of a sudden, I realized I was about to say something and there was something like, eh, eh. Wouldn't want to say that. Wow. And all of a sudden I realized, well, this is God's Holy Spirit inside of me prompting me. This wouldn't be a good thing. It affects the way I walk, the way I conduct my affairs throughout my day, throughout my week. And that's why the apostles were able to be witnesses everywhere because all of a sudden they saw people who'd been mean and hateful and selfish, and now they were loving and kind and serving, and they go, what gives? And they could say, I've asked Jesus in my heart, and he's really come in, and he's changed me. Even my reactions are different. So let me read that again. So don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that'll ruin your life. It'll impact the way you talk and walk and even the way you drive the wrong way. But if you surrender your life to the Holy Spirit, it'll change everything. A friend of mine, I was sharing this once, he even told me, he said, embarrassingly, he'd had a bumper sticker on the back of his car that said, follow me to church. And he got into a parking lot one time and somebody pulled in behind him and rolled their window down and said, I'd follow you to church if you'd quit cutting people off in traffic and driving so fast. They rolled up the window and sped off. So he said, I took the bumper sticker off my car. 
Uh, no, <laughs> that's not the point. <laughs> the point is not to just go incognito as a Christian. The point is to say, hey, God, I, I want to drive like a Christian. I want to live under the influence in every part of my life. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul said more about this. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, which is what we're born with, it's what our natural inclinations are, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Name your poison. Let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against these things. And those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. And since we're living by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And so what God wants is he wants us to live under the influence. If I drink a lot of alcohol and I keep drinking it, I can't control what it's going to do to me. It's going to impact every part of me whether I want it to or not. If I surrender my whole life to the Lord, well, it's going to impact the way I talk, the way I think. It's going to impact my finances, my social life. Everything's going to change. But Paul said the key thing in that last sentence of Galatians 5, so let's follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. If I want to be filled with the Spirit, I need to surrender my whole life to Him. Oh, that's what He wants for us. That's what He wants from us. You know, God has a wonderful plan for you. He's getting you ready for heaven. He doesn't want you to struggle with temper tantrums. He doesn't want you being the one passing on dirty jokes or gossip. He doesn't want you constantly frustrated with an empty life or trying to hide a secret addiction that isn't near as secret as you think. He wants you to come to him and say, God, I surrender this all to you. If you've attended one of our Discovering Centerpoint classes to find out what it means to be a member, we go over this point a lot. This is a big point for us at Centerpoint, to constantly surrender our lives to him. There's a video that we show, and I'd like to show it to all of us again. And it reminds us of how important it is to surrender every part of our lives to the Holy Spirit's control. Would you watch the screens, please? Jesus, I have decided to give you this. Really? Yeah. You know whoever sits here makes all the decisions, right? I know, and I'm always making decisions, but you make the perfect decisions, so you just sit right down and start making them. Wow, I'm honored. I mean, this feels great. Kathleen, guess what? I just got my new credit card. It's time to go shopping. Oh, really? I thought your husband and you were going to pay off debt. Oh, yeah. I mean, money's kind of tight, but I figured he doesn't have to know about it. So do you want to oh. go with me? No. <laughs> no? Why? Uh, what I mean is, uh, I don't know. Um, oh. So let me check my schedule, and then I'll get back to you. Okay, yeah, give me a call. Okay. <laughs> Kat, what's going on? What do you mean? Well, I'm kind of one cheek in it here. Look, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You wanted me to sit here, right? Well, of course. And whoever sits here makes all the decisions? Right. So what's the problem? Oh, there's not a problem. I just, I don't know what I was thinking. Really, please, here, sit down. As long as you're sure. I'm sure. Okay, okay. so let's start over. Okay. All right. Kat, I noticed that you've been losing your temper a lot lately. 
Right. So, okay, Jesus, you know what? I know what you're going to say, but um, see, you, do? you don't know the whole situation, you know? Oh, I, well, all I'm saying is that your attitude is a decision. Yes, of course, but I have a lot going on right now. <laughs> well, I know you're under a lot of pressure. Pressure? Jesus, you don't understand pressure, okay? This I, isn't working, Kat. What? We can't both sit on the seat. It's either me or it's you. Okay, I know. You know, I just, I didn't think it was going to be this hard, but here, just take it. No, I'm not going to take it. You have to give it to me. Okay, here. Kathleen, make a choice. I can't. You just did. And this brings us to the last point in your outline. We must not live lives that grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into us. When we ask Jesus into our heart, he really comes in. God's Spirit dwells inside of us. He wants to change us. He wants to work on everything in our lives that is broken and sinful and wrong. He wants to encourage everything in our lives that is good and honorable and helps us become more like Him. And so He's working on us day and night. And what He wants to do, what He wants us to do, is just quit fighting Him. Surrender. But we end up a lot like the woman in the video. And we say, I can't. Lord, I want you to fill my whole life. But could you wait till after Saturday night? You know what I mean? Lord, I'll give my business to you after that deal that closes in March. Because that's kind of shady. Lord, I'll be a strong witness for you. I'll read your Bible. Well, you know, if I get more time. And what God wants for us is to say, God, you make the perfect decisions. I'm surrendering my life to you. You sit on the throne. I'm not going to do it anymore. And as soon as we discover that there's an area we haven't surrendered, we surrender that too. But when we pick things up and say, nope, this is mine, well, that grieves the Holy Spirit. Grieves Him. We fall back in old sinful attitudes, or we know something's right to do and we refuse to do it. There's a sadness and a heaviness of heart. And I've had people come see me and they go, I just don't understand why I'm feeling so sad about something here. And every time I go to church, it seems to get worse. And I go, is there an area in your life where you're directly disobeying what God told you to do? And they go, well, yeah, how'd you know? And I read them this passage. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he's identified you as his own, guaranteeing you that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. And the next passage below that is letter to the Corinthians. Paul says, don't you realize your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit God's Holy Spirit now lives inside of you? So if you and I embrace sin and we won't let go, that brings sorrow because God has no attraction towards sin at all and doesn't want us to have it either. And I go, well, let's confess that sin and see if, things make, see if that makes a difference. And the hardest thing in the world is when we won't do that because our hearts are heavy because God has designed us to be filled with him. He makes perfect decisions. He has such a wonderful plan for your life. And sometimes I meet people and they tell me, oh, I guess I just didn't get enough of the Holy Spirit. I go, oh, you got enough of the Holy Spirit. The question is, does the Holy Spirit have enough of you? It's not a question whether you got enough of the Holy Spirit. The question is, does the Holy Spirit have enough of you? And so as we start out in 2013 this year, why on earth would I not surrender my finances to God? God doesn't know more about money than I do. Why on earth would I not surrender my social life to God? God doesn't have a better understanding of my friends and my relationships and how they'll impact my life than I do. I've been wrong before. 
He's never wrong. Why on earth would I not surrender my time and spend time with him understanding his word, counting on the fact the Holy Spirit's going to open my mind and help me understand things I wouldn't know on my own? Why wouldn't I do that? Well, because it means I have to give up control. That's why. And whenever I refuse to do that, it brings sadness to God because he has so much more planned for me. He loves you. He has so much in store for you. And when we embrace sin in our lives, he reminds us, you're so much better than that. Let this go. Give it to me. You need my power. And when you surrender, you'll see the change. And that will give you assurance that I can handle all things in your life. But you need to live under my influence in every part of your life. Don't grieve me. It's what Paul wrote to the people of Ephesus. It's a good word on how to live it today. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I want to live out my faith. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be a phony. And I don't want to fail. And so, Lord, I'm going to need your Holy Spirit. I can't do this without you. There's no way. But, Father, just like that woman in that video, there are times when I surrender control of something, and then as soon as I have to make a hard decision, I want to take it right back. And, God, I grieve you. And I'm sorry for the times I brought you sorrow. In just a moment of silence and reflection right now, if God brought something to mind right now, just right now, while I've been talking about an area in your life that needs to change, someone you need to forgive, something you need to start doing, something you need to stop doing. A secret that no one knows but you and the Lord. And he's reminded you that something needs to be dealt with that this year. You need to deal with that. Surrender to him now. God's Holy Spirit is giving you a desire to change and he'll give you the power to do it, but you got to trust him. Trust him, don't grieve him. Not this year. No more. Father, I just want to surrender my whole heart to you and I hold back one corner. Lord, I don't want to embrace sinful habits that drag me down. I don't want to embrace hurtful relationships that have caused me nothing but pain. I want to stop hanging on to old guilt and shame that you forgave a long time ago, but I can't forgive myself. And God, I'm asking you to do a mighty work in my heart. I'll give you, I'll give you the throne. I want you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me. Give me the right words to say. Tell me when to say nothing at all. Lord, I want you to change the way I walk and the way I talk. I want to be godly. I want you to get me ready for heaven. I pray these things in the name of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen.